You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This is very exciting for me. I hope it's exciting for you. A few weeks ago, something happened that caught the entire sports world, uh, and I would say the entire sports card world. There was a LeBron rookie card, exquisite rookie patch auto, that sold at auction, and it went for $1.8 million, $1.5 with $300,000 on top, and it went to a guy that I believe is going to make monster waves. He's someone that truly cares about the hobby, and he's someone that understands, I think, this at a 30,000 feet level that could really make some waves. And that's Lior Avidar. Did I say the last name correctly? Yeah, yeah, Lior Avidar. Yeah, excited to be on. I, I just want to start off with this. What is it like to click a button to try and buy a card for $1.8 million? What is that like? Um, Trying to like... So, okay, I actually let someone else click the button. If you're... if oh. so. Yeah, this is a this is a good story. We, you know, again, it's there's a bunch of people who are involved in this. It's it is not it's not just me. Um, we we were all on the Zoom together, and you know, I've I've done a lot of really cool things, and what I love is it's sharing it. So I actually let a lot of the younger people who are involved put in the bids themselves. So there were two different types of bids. First, there was one during the original process, just to reserve your spot into the auction, and so I let a couple of uh, basically really big hustlers in the hobby who have made a lot of money, who I would say are the modern traders in this space. Mm. So they were the ones who got to put in the initial bids. Um, they got to set it up. Uh, and then once we actually, you know, I remember Saturday night, um, you know, a couple of them couldn't come in. So uh, someone else from the team did it. But man, is it crazy because Golden was going down at that time. So we were, we were, like emailing golden back and forth is our bid submitted did we get it did we not get it what's going on why is the timer going up going down like it was kind of like the wild west now when you actually found out that you had won jubilation relief what what sense was that so this is okay I'll, i'll tell you a really interesting story um yeah, this is, okay, not a lot of people know this. So we had a budget going in. It wasn't that we just had like an uncapped number, right? Um, and the way it works with Golden and other auctions is the tie goes to uh, the person who put the bid in first. Um, and so basically it was at 1.4, right? And 1.5 was our max. Like I told everybody on the team, like, hey, like this is the max that we're going, like it's been real fun. And I told them we have two options. We can put it at 145 and hope that we get it at 145 or we put it at 15. So if the person who basically did it at 145, that was their max bid, they would have to outbid us at 155. Mm. 
So we put in one five and immediately it went to one five. So it was the right move in terms because we got the tie went to us right. instead of to somebody else. Um, and then the clock started. And so we were nervous. I mean, we had already done a couple of bids and someone had outbid us. Correct me if um, I'm wrong, just to explain it to everybody. When you're dealing with bids on these bids on these auction houses, once it gets to a certain time, it then turns into repeating 30-minute timers for someone else to jump in. So you're sitting there yeah. looking at a 30-minute clock going, man, I hope so. Like, I hope this goes through. Yeah, exactly. So basically, it's ticking down. You know, we're a bunch of us are having a drink in hand. We're just trying to like talk the time away. And then, you know, 10 minutes, it starts getting real, right? Like you're the, you're the winning bidder. And I then was two minutes. an Instagram live break at the time with a bunch of kids breaking. And after every card would get broken, someone would go, there's only eight minutes left. There's only four. Like we were all watching, man. Yeah. I mean, so we, at two minutes, it got real heated, I would say. And then there was kind of some laughs. And then the last, like, 20 seconds, we just started counting down, right? Like, you know, when it's the last 20 seconds, no one is waiting, no one's messing around on the other side to go that, that, that late stage. So we were just getting really excited. Um, and then basically we count down the last 10 seconds and then everyone was just like, holy shit, we actually just did that. Um, I think to go off of that, I think, holy shit, there, there's two things that I thought afterwards and we're gonna dive in. I just wanted to talk about this right off the bat because it's the, the news trigger and it's so exciting. Number one, there is a tweet that comes out. I think it was Ravel who says yeah. that you said the, it's all, the purchase is part of the strategy to, quote, bring something big to the collectibles and alternative asset business in the coming months. That was like an, oh, shit, what does that mean? So I'll ask you straight up, what does that mean? So I'm, I'm not sharing much yet, but like for those that know me, I... I love finding arbitrage opportunities across a lot of different assets. So I started my career on Wall Street and I traded a lot of exotic derivatives and I got into cards because I love collecting, but I also thought it was just a really interesting way to bet on players and get into a lot of really interesting things. And I have friends that do something similar in shoes. I have people who I know who do it for art. And I would say over the last, um, maybe it's eight years, I don't know exactly, there is this new modern set of assets, right, that are a representation of our culture. There are different ways to take bets, they're representing history, and they're now getting to a certain level of liquidity where you actually can do a lot of really cool things out of it. And so what we're building is not just for cards. Uh, car, you know, cards is an asset, it's gonna be part of it, um, but it's gonna be around a lot of different, what I call this new modern age of alternative assets. They're pieces of our culture, um, and so we plan on doing something really big in that space. Um, so I'm a big collector of all different things. I just love holding it in my hand. I love telling the story. Um, like one of my most favorite parts, a lot of people don't know this about me. I love design. I've, I've designed my entire apartment, Ooh. but not like everybody else. My theme isn't like mid-century modern. It's everything that I've negotiated in my life. And so every piece has a story, right? I love that. And so... I, I love that aspect. That's why I buy cards too. It's the story, it's the chase, mm. right? And so I actually think that's a big part of our culture. And so I'm going to be building something around that. Let's hold up the card now. And what will be the story that you tell about this card? Will it be that story of the counting down the clock? Let's, let's oh man. Let's just take a look at it for a sec. I mean, this is crazy. How does it feel to hold it? Uh, your hand just shakes a little bit probably for the first time. And then, and then, it, uh, you, you're like, can I hold it? Can I put it down? Where can I put it? Can I put it up against something else? 
Um, you're like, what am I allowed to do? What am I not I mean, allowed to do? The sound of that hitting the table right there I was like, chill yeah. out, Lior. That was a little bit physical. There were a couple of people who took it and kind of flipped it in the air a couple of times, and you're like, yeah, your 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 heart goes. I'm like, it's not like one of your other cards when you're just like taking it and you're looking it around and you just put it in. So you have to be a little bit more delicate around it. Have you stared at it? Have you held it every day since you've gotten it? Uh, I've held it. A, I mainly keep it off site in a really, you know, I don't want it anywhere near me to be completely honest sometimes. Um, but I've, I've tried to also just enjoy it. Um, there's a lot of really great stories about it that we're not ready to share yet. Uh, but probably, you know, how it actually like got here, where it went um, in, in between getting to us. Uh, as you can imagine, logistically getting a card like this from point A to point B isn't just sending it through FedEx. Um, and you will learn that Brinks and all these other companies do not go to residential addresses. So you will, there are some really interesting stories on how it actually got to me um, and then where it's actually kept. So we'll be, we'll be sharing some of those. Yeah. I have a few of those as well. Eyeball emoji. What was that like for you? I don't read a lot of social media because I really tried to kind of, you know, get, uh, get away from all the noise. So someone actually showed me that. And the first thing that I started thinking about is, is, is it a few of those cards? Is it a few of those types of cards or is it this exact one, right? Um, and so I thought it was cool. I'm just like, man, because I do talk to, I've talked to a lot of players uh, around cards and I think that there is a lot that needs to be changed around cards. I think the future of cards is going to feel a lot similar to the future of or to the past around shoes. I think players are gonna be a bigger part of actually designing them and releasing them as opposed to just a separate company like Panini who does it all. I think the relationship between the NBA, the players and the manufacturers are gonna change over time. And I think a lot more control is gonna be going back into the player's hands, which it should be, right? Um, so I, I'm curious on how much he's dug into this already. Um, I'm curious if he owns the 20, you know, what, you know, does he have two of the 23? Does he have a couple of the 99 or does he just have a couple of his rookie cards? Right. Exactly. Like I would love to hear how, what his story on how he got them. Like I'm saying like, you know, Giannis released on his IG that he collects one of every single one of these cards. I want to know why. I don't know if I would give them the one of ones. I'd maybe like break out the 99s, you know, and they can, like, and they can do it. Or maybe they could decide the print run of it. Right. So they get to decide the supply and demand a little bit more because every player should be able to decide how their rights and names are used, right? Um, you know, one of the things that we're seeing is people, you know, some cards are just flooding the market um, and you actually don't know the print run. And because I don't trust the industry that much, I don't know if there's going to be more print run in the future, right? So I, I'm hoping, and I've been engaged in a lot of conversations on how to help influence and change this space. We're not trying to tackle this directly, but I've been working with a lot of players who I think should take control of this, uh, similar to how they own the licensing around shoes. I've, I've worked hard my entire life. I've been working since I was 16. I, you know, my goal in life was I just wanted to be financially independent. Um, and so I've hustled as in every way possible. Like ever since I've been in high school, I've worked a summer job. I've taken that money. My first kind of big four way into investing was, you know, stocks. I remember taking an entire summer's worth of uh, cash that I had made. I put it all into options around Apple stock. I love risk. I, I put it in right before earnings and I bought out of the money options. So I either was going to make a lot of money or it was all going to go to zero. And it went to zero. So I learned really early on kind of that I got a little bit desensitized to like what it means to lose. 
Um, and I think imagine being a kid. I'm just imagining being that age and working so long and then watching it. Oh my God. It's a good lesson early on. Yeah. I, my heart, I remember my heart sank and I was, I was like, I can't tell anybody about this because I'm ashamed. (laughs) Right. But you know, one of the things I've learned is those experiences have made me who I am. And so like, I learned all those things in college. And by the time I got to wall street and I, the first year out of college, I knew so much already because I had made all the mistakes already. Right. Mm -hmm. And so my experiences over time from trading stocks allowed me to go into other derivatives because I would just research to investing in bonds. Um, I've done all of these crazy things and, you know, I love it. Um, You know, that's what led me to wall street, right. Or led me to wall street, which led me to Amazon web services, which is now a really big company, which led me to start my own company. And now I just try to bring everything together. So, I'm at a place where I just love growing people. That's probably like my most exciting thing. Like I love. I see you back. post about that a lot. You love culture. I'm sure that you read a lot of Adam Grant. Like you care about people. I could tell that. Yeah, I mean, it's just community means a lot to me. Um, you know, we're all looking for to get to know people, especially during the pandemic. It's just so hard. So I'm always trying to like connect people, create a sense of community. I love the storytelling, like the hobby. I just love talking to people, right? And that's where I think everything that you just said is why it's so interesting right now with the hobby. There is a community. Some of them are thrilled at what's happening. Some of them are nervous about what's happening because I think that they're worried that people are coming in without that sense of community and they're only looking at it as an investment strategy. Yeah. There is so much buzz. What is your read on what's going on right now? Uh, There's definitely institutional money coming in. Um, you know, I've, you know, I was even debating to start a hedge fund last year around cards um, because obviously the, the returns are very high and a lot of new people like, you know, I've been doing this for quite some time. People always come to me like, can I invest alongside with you? Um, I think it's a good thing when you're getting more money into the, into the kind of ecosystem, it'll help bring transparency to prices. And I think that's one thing that the industry is missing is that there's a lot of price manipulation. There's people out there who are posting all these cards when they have a hundred of them already, right? And so we need to drive transparency. We actually have to do a lot to clean up the, the, uh, the ecosystem as a whole, from the people who are creating the cards to selling the cards. Every aspect of it, I find, is not great yet. Um, and so one of the things I hope to do is to drive a lot more trust and transparency through the entire community. Um, but I think we got to keep the element. There's always going to be hobbyists in every single industry, and we got to keep that alive, right? No industry will. Uh, that's that's the funniest thing is it's literally called the hobby, and so because of that, there's this innocence to it that I think everyone's afraid of ruining. But we're all looking at it like you're saying as an alternative investment. You're like, there's there's just too much to be had here. Yeah, it happens. You got to remember when you know you know uh, Steve Jobs was starting Apple. You know, computers were a hobbyist product, right? That's how it evolves, right? It starts as these early adopters who just get together in their garage and doing something fun. And then you realize that something's there and then you start and it takes off, right? You know, people who like, who are in it right now are doing it for the passion and then other people are gonna follow because there's money, right? Um, And I think we just need to make sure that whatever happens, there's room for both. I I think there can be, right? Um, But hope, again, we should be, we should drive for inclusivity, right? So if they're different than us, that doesn't mean that it should be them versus us. It should be everyone together, right? right? And so like, how can we bring it together? How can we make sure that as the hobby grows, we can cross different generations through it? How can I make sure that when I have kids, I get them excited about this too, right? 
Um, I think those are the conversations that I think are more important. I think like, again, let's divide and let's like, let's be excited about something new and change is good. I know it's hard, but it's probably a good thing. Uh, probably in about 14 minutes, uh, we're going to show off some card porn and Lior is going to show off some of his favorites that he apparently has not showed off a lot. But one thing that you did say to me, and this goes back to the transparency, you said you're very cautious about pumping and dumping. And I think right now that so much of the, the hobby is on display on social media. And the more you start seeing stuff on Instagram, oh, wow, I need to get that card. Um, how do we deal with this? Yeah. With, with people want to show off what they got, but that could really impact the market and drive up these prices. I think people, it's not that transparent. people have to have, you have to understand your responsibility. When you show off a card, your language of how you utilize it, you have to understand the impact that it's going through. That's it. It's, it's honestly pretty simple. I think for people who are buying the cards, right? Social media does have an impact, right? But just buy things that you like, because then whatever the entry price is, you will be happy with it no matter what, right? So buy something assuming that it will either sell for zero or that you will never sell for it and you will always be happy. That's the one thing, right? Mm. Two is just research the price yourself, right? Um, you know, unfortunately, eBay only shows 90 days worth of data, right? And some cards are liquid, so you can't, you can't, you can't really find the data. I'm hoping I'm going to help solve that by giving more information. Um, ask around, right? Have a conversation. Is this a good? Is this a good? And don't just buy it because someone else does, right? Yeah. And that's the first sign. If you're buying it because you saw somebody else do it and you think you're going to make a quick flip. They might know more than you do, right? Mm. Um, and I would encourage people to not do that. Actually, I think that's that's the only part. Um, you know, I, I've you know I was a young kid and I remember trying to find all these get rich quick schemes. It just doesn't exist, right? Like you have to always work hard. And so if it feels too easy, it is probably too easy. Um, and you might be one the one caught with the bag at the end. And no doubt, that's that's not the greatest feeling, and that's not what we want in this. We don't want anyone to be feel you know really bad at the end of the day by buying a card that brings a lot of people joy can i give out your instagram i mean is yeah. that public or is it uh yeah my so sports card one is yeah yeah so your sports car one is gems underscore only eight i had an amazing time looking through it i don't know if i've seen a kobe collection uh this vast before uh i did notice that you posted about an hour ago and you have the lebron card with the cause bear which again like my friend is a sneaker designer. He has caused stuff all over his house. He's like, oh, I bought this painting for 11 grand. And I'm like, I don't see it. But look at this LeBron. It's, no. I, don't think it, I don't think it's a cause one. It's just a, it's just a bear brick. Oh. Um, it's just a normal okay. bear brick, uh, unfortunately. But, but I, you, wanted me to, you wanted me to look at the books. Yeah. And I'm curious. I see The Big Short by Michael Lewis, House of Cards by William, I believe that's Cohan, and The Greatest Trade Ever by Gregory Zuckerman. You're planning something and I'm excited about so it. That, those books were not planned there. That's just, I have them. I love finance books. That's probably the one thing I do read a lot about. Um, just I, I, ever since I was 16, I really try to understand all the people, the traders, investors beforehand, because you can be a trader or an investor in anything, right? And so understanding the mentality and how to spot these arbitrage opportunities. What does it look like when something's about to completely break up, right? Like the big short or the house of cards, right? right? I, I try to understand the different perspectives so that you can apply it to when new market opportunities come up. Um, so, okay. With that, with that being said, where do you think we are right now in this card? market? Yeah. So I think, I think we're at the start. I think there's a, it's a big opportunity, right? 
Um, that gets me so excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited, but I think the part that it's going to change. This is, I think this is the start of something. You know, you're seeing a lot of people who are betting on players. And I think this is, you know, we're starting to see gambling coming into a little bit more of a normalcy in our society and betting on players. And I think, you know, right now the mechanism to do that is sports cards. I think over the course of time, the sports cards will probably evolve away. There'll be a more of a direct mechanism. Like you see people like uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, who's tokenizing his contract, right? We're seeing the early, uh, early signs of a new market formation. And so th when a new market forms, you start seeing transparency, and then you're going to start seeing a lot of structured products. So you see companies like Rally Road, Otis, and Masterworks coming out with really great foundational products, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to be somewhere in this industry. Um, again, it's not just sports card related because I think it's, it's not just in cards. I'm seeing this in a lot of different assets. It's our culture. It's our generation. And so I want to build something that is going to be allowing, allowing this community to grow and thrive. Let's talk about uh, your cards. What was, the, what was the one that really started getting you into it? Is this a lifelong thing or, or was there like one card you got, you saw an opportunity and then it just snowballed? There was one, there was one card and I'll tell the, I'm going to make sure you tell me if we have time. I'll tell the entire story of how I got into cards. So, you're, a good, you're a very well-paced talker and I feel like we've already gotten a lot in 20 minutes. So I think you're good. So, okay. So I, you know, ever since I was six or seven, I collected cards. You know, I didn't have any cards. Like I even remember having like a Brian Grant, you know, collector's choice card. Um, and so it was 2016. I was just getting really nostalgic. I'd moved to San Francisco. I had now been here for four years. Uh, my dad sent me all my, my cards from when I was young and I went through it and there was not, not much that was worth something. But I just remembered when I was a kid, there was this one card that I always wanted. It was the Kobe Bryant, uh, 1996 EX2000 base card. It's a really great, it's a green card. It's just, it was a really expensive card and no one, my parents and my grandparents would never let me buy the pack. Like there was two cards in the pack, right? Oh, wow. And I thought, and it was just like, it just, it's, you're not gonna get anything good. You're not gonna be happy. And so I was like, okay, I am buying a box of this. You know, I'm an adult, you know, I've made a little bit of money. I'm just gonna, you know, <laughs> I have some discretion here. I'm going to buy the Treat box. Treat yourself, fool. Yeah. Yeah. So I got the box. Oh my God. I like literally, I felt like I was seven years old again. I bought it and I got the Kobe Bryant card. Right. And, wow. and I, and I started, and I got the whole box. So the odds were really good. And so then I remember thinking, wait a second. And I, you know, I'm not going to know the exact numbers. The odds of getting the Kobe Bryant card, I think was like one out of 60. Right. And it was worth $60 at that point. And then, but the box cost me maybe like $350. So I did the expected value. And I was like, wait a second, this makes no sense. If I just buy the box and I get the Kobe Bryant card and I sell it, I'm going to make 15 bucks every single time. Right? Mm. So I was like, I'm going to do that. Let's see if it actually works. So I started buying yeah. a couple of boxes. Right? And then I started when I was going on eBay to sell them, I started learning about, wait, why is this one 30 bucks? But this company PSA that grades a 10 is worth three grand. Right? I'm like, whoa, what is going on? PSA 9, 150. And so then I realized I can start buying the cards and getting them graded and making some money. So I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done with, I'm done with the boxes. Let's just focus on the cards. And at this point, how many hours a week were you thinking about? Oh my God. I was spending probably two to three hours every single morning. I just, that's like, I woke up, I had like eBay. Yeah. Um, and that was the start of the addiction. You're right. Instead of going to like a news app, you're checking eBay sold prices. Yeah, absolutely. I get my news from eBay. 
Um, but then that's it. Then I started, okay, I was like, okay, I started understanding grading and I got a PSA 10 of that. And I was like, I want a PSA 10 of every Kobe Bryant rookie card. That was my first chase, right? Um, and I actually got that in probably 2018. I actually got it and I loved it. And then I actually was like, okay, the game is about a chase. I want to get to a goal. I want to share that goal. And then I want to let other people experience it too. I actually don't own, I don't think I have any Kobe rookie cards anymore. I actually sold them all. Um, wow. And, and it's cause I just, you know, I got the story. I loved sharing it. And now I have different, different things that I really like. Right. So for example, yeah. we're going to bring it. Oh, here we go. This one. So I don't know. Beautiful. There's a hundred of I need these. you to talk me through because you're a lot more well-versed. So this is a, a 1997 Kobe Bryant precious metal gems. It was one of, this was one of the first years where they really made a lot of serial numbered cards. And I'm a big on serial numbers. So I'm going to, this one is numbered 85 of a hundred, 85 of a hundred. This one is basically the people who collect Kobe Bryant cards. This is one of the Holy grails. I mean, there's a green one of this. There's only 10. Um, and it's, does Nat Turner have one of those? Nat has one. Um, there's another one that I, I know. I know two other people that have one right now, and they're probably not going to sell it to me. I mean, it just, it really means, it really means something. Like, it just, man, it's just. You You're know, looking at it. What is, what is going into your brain as you just looked so, it up and down? So I'm also, you got to remember, my lob.com, I know a lot about printing. Um, this is such a sensitive card. Like, the edges are so hard. It's never, no one's going to get a PSA 10. And to understand how hard it is to actually like print a card and to create, I mean, the texture on this card, it's not easy with the machinery that they had in 1997. And so like the craftsmanship on this is, is really crazy and the design of it too. Like it, it was definitely like ahead of its time. And so also just like you look at Kobe Bryant and you see how young he is, right? right. And then you realize, you know, now, I mean, you know, I, I'm a big Kobe fan. I was super devastated, uh, you know, when he died but you, you see the evolution of the players and then how they mature. And it's just like, you're almost going through their history, right? It's my favorite part about Giannis rookie cards is he, he looks one eighth of the human yeah. and to know that he'll never look like that again. And that's why rookie cards are so great because it's this frozen yeah. moment in time. So here, I'll show you a couple of, okay, this is, this is the card that there will be no chance that anyone will ever be able to pry away from me. So this card right here is a super fractor. It's a PSA 10 one, which is already impossible to get graded. Um, it, I just love the design of this card. And I, I bought a lot of them before Kobe Bryant died. It is a 2008 Topps Chrome. And for people that are listening on audio, it is Kobe stretching out the ball with LeBron defending him. Yeah. And it's just like, there. I think this might be the only card of Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. And it's a one of one and it's graded a PSA 10. Like this is a card that I just take out and look, I look at it all the time. And I loved it so much that um, what's cool about collecting is in this year. You've got a tattooed on your back. No, no. No? Okay. <laughs> um, they make one in six different colors. And so I, I went on a chase. I wanted every single color. And every single one has a different rarity. And I was like, okay, I want every single color and every single rarity in PSA 10. Right? And so I, I, went, I went out and did that. So there's six of them. There's a great picture on my account. It was just like, as soon as I hit that, I was just like, I, I felt really complete. Like that was something that I tried really, really hard. And the fact that it came on eBay and no one bought it, I was like, what are people doing there? They don't realize how legendary this card is. And I was like, in wow. instant, I was like, I'm never going to, when these cards come up like this, you can't pass them up there. It doesn't matter the price. I mean, 
do you like save searches? Are you constantly typing in the same? No, no, no. You have to have, I have all my searches. Um, I have probably over so you get emailed in the morning if one gets posted. I'm the one that knows that eBay has a hundred search limit. You can't save more than a hundred searches, right? <laughs> I ran into that problem really early on, right? Um, it's just, I don't know, like, and then like some of these, like, okay. So I love that Kobe Bryant card so much. I went out and found the LeBron of it, the super fractal. That's a beautiful card. Um, this one's probably worth more. It's a nine. But this story is hard. This, the, how I got it. Um, the guy that I bought it from, I think he pulled it. And he was so scared of selling it to me. Right? I mean, and I tried for six months to go. I, I thought someone else was trying to come after it. I was just like, what can I do? Just tell me a price. And every morning, I just like, it was a ritual. I would text the guy. Like, tell me, tell me what you're looking for. Like, I'm in It's like Gordon Gecko sending the... Uh... Or not Gordon Gecko, uh, the guy sending the cigars, blue, blue, uh, whatever. Yeah, it's just like the amount, it took me six months to get to that card. And so the best part Why was- Why was he afraid? It's a lot of money, right? How do you send it to me, right? Do I come to you? You know, a lot of people when you're transacting, the, the money is a lot of money. They're, they're using this to fund their kid's education, right? It, this is not like, and so they're scared about fraud. There's a lot of things. This is why trust is so important, right? Right. But the funniest part was after I bought it, it got lost in the mail and people don't, <laughs> and I, and the, and the guy didn't send it overnight. He sent it like, I, I think like four day shipping. And I was like the anxiety that he must felt when that thing got lost in the mail. Right. Oh. And so this is why I tell him anything over, honestly, probably like $3,000 FedEx it overnight, you know, just get it into your hand. Otherwise like, you can't, you can't sleep. You literally cannot sleep. Listen, I got an, I got a 1980 tops, uh, PSA nine of bird magic and Julius Irving. Oh my God. And That's a good card. It's a beautiful card. And it was supposed to get there on a Tuesday and it did not show up on Tuesday. And I, I couldn't say anything to my fiance because yeah. because she's going to be like, wait, you trusted that? Because so now I'm coming up with these stories about how like I think somebody went to my bank account and just took all this money out. Like I don't know what happened. Yeah, yeah, it's scary as hell. So I've I've had at the volume that I deal with, I've had everything happen to me. I have purchased counterfeit cards uh, across the you know from Taiwan. There's this big article. That you can read that, you know, honestly, it was both sides, like half the people sided with this other person, half the people sided with me. It just, you get into these really hard things when, you know, there are basically bad actors in this space, right? Raw or graded? I bought them raw, right? Okay. I bought them raw, I got them graded, and then PSA told me one was fake, and they sent two that were real, and then they called me a week later and said one of the ones that they graded as real was actually fake. And so it created this big mess between me and the buyer, me and PSA. And luckily, you know, I don't think everyone was happy to be completely honest at the end. Um, and there's always still some controversy on it, but it just, this is what I would like to clean up, right? I would like to have easy transactions, right? I want people to be, feel very comfortable about what's going on and who they're buying from, right? Um, and you just hear it too often about trimmed cards, right? There's FBI investigations, right? And I think that's the one thing we need to rid our community of is these bad actors. And I think we need to join yes. forces and there needs to be a way where we, a centralized place where people can actually know what's real, what's not real, what's trimmed and who these bad actors are. I noticed also going through that IG account that you had a bunch of references about PSA. 
And it's interesting, you're like bipolar with PSA. You love the look of the slab, but I feel like in your heart, you're so annoyed by PSA. And it's fascinating because when I first came in, our guy, Action Jackson, that kind of set this whole thing up, yeah. he was telling me, he's like, listen, the difference between a PSA 10 and a BGS 9.5 is not that much. But when I'm looking at prices right now, it's growing by the day. Yeah. And so what, what do you think about the way that the subjectivity of the grading and BGS has the nice subgrades, but also in 10 years, do you think PSA will still be so, the leader? The yeah, leader? really great questions. There's a lot to unpack there. I, I like PSA because I like the quest to perfection, right? I love the 10. Now BGS has a 10, but it's so rare that you can't really collect a set through it. So they almost, it's, it's too scarce. So the PSA 10 has the right balance to it. Um, I think the look and the feel can be improved, but what frustrates me, I'm a, I'm a tech nerd. I love making decisions based on data. And I have sent cards, sometimes just for the fun of it, a couple of times, and it's inconsistent, right? Oh, you mean you've gotten a card, cracked it, sent it back, cracked it, and got different grades each time? Yeah, and so I do a lot of these things because I want to build out the data set to help people understand. Like, I actually, you know, sometimes I do this not because I'm trying to out somebody, it's because I want to go and help. I'm a problem solver. That's who I am internally. So, like, I want to talk to PSA. I want to teach them about how technology can solve this. Like, you know, in my mind, this is some, this is a solved problem, right? There's there's machinery and software out there that can look at a card, can measure it and grade it, and they should be that machine can grade it and and within, you know, probably the same accuracy 99% of the times. And so we can't. This is why I'm a big tech person. You can't solve these problems with people. You have to solve them with software, right? Mm. Um, and so this happens in every industry. This is why you know technology is a big part of our society, it will get there. And so I'm just trying to shine a light on the areas of opportunity and growth. I'm not trying to down anybody. I think PSA has built an amazing business. I think BGS has built an amazing business. Without them, I think the hobby wouldn't be where it is today, but let's keep pushing each other forward, right? And so I'm just, you know, I, I joke around, but I think consistency is something that I care about. You know, I've cracked open, you know, BGS 9.5s and got in. I mean, this Kobe card that's a PSA 5.5 was a BGS 8.5. Right. Wow. And so that's fine. Different companies have different standards, but we're going to have to have some normalcy, right. Or standardized guides in between all the companies. I got this card right here. This is a Kevin Durant super fractor yeah. from the same set. It's a PSA eight and a half was a BGS nine and a half. Right. So what we need is that we need to have these companies actually start talking because it's okay to have differentiation. Right. But the fact that it's so different, right? That's going to create some problems long-term. And so I would love to help kind of, and there's SGC now, which is coming out, right? Um, a comic book company that's getting into it too. Yeah. I'm hearing a lot of people who are there's starting. A, yeah. And I was also going to say like, I, I've listened to a few podcasts where it's people that are international that are talking about how long it takes for them to get a card back and how what if these grading companies had outposts in Australia or China? It's because right now you can get a, a card out. There. How long would it take for a, a raw card in China to go to PSA and come back before you can sell yeah. it? But I think you're, you are right. That's the future. But the, the, the blocker right now, where is kind of the bottleneck? Everyone is solving problems. So more cards are being sent. The number of graders, you, we have to, people have to train these graders. It's literally subjective. Like humans are not objective, right? And so our problem is a people problem. And I think in order to actually solve it, we need to take a step back and solve it through software. 
if I was listening to this right now and I wasn't as deep as you are or as, as I am, um, I think they would hear things like trimming and fraud and subjectivity, and I think it might scare them away. And I'm curious, as someone that's so data-driven, why are you so secure in this? Um, well, I'm not. There's, there's definitely a lack of trust, right? Like anytime I buy a card, and this is, again, like I'm very deep in this space, I know the forums, I know to look up if the patch is trimmed or what it looked like, or if it was a different, like, I need to look up the provenance of this card, right? And not everyone does that. And you don't need to do that for the lower end cards, but for the higher end cards you do. And so I, I go and do provenance for every single card that I buy, right? Because I, I don't want a card that has uh, some sort of history that's associated with altering, right? Um, I'm a purist. I, I like the fact um, that this was, you know, it could be in a bad grade, but that's the story. You know, some guy or girl had this card in their basement or their attic for 10 years, right? And it was crumpled right. up. You know, that's why even those like Mickey Mantle PSA one sell for so often. It's just such an iconic thing through history to have. Um, but not everyone knows about that. And so I see cards all the time get listed on eBay or some of these auction sites. I'm like, man, if people just read some of these places, they'll realize this, this card is fake, right? It's manufactured mm -hmm. in you know, another country, it's been altered, it has a history of it, like that serial number, you know, someone has that exact same card as they just photoshopped it. Um, mm. And so this is the part that there's a barrier to entry on knowledge, and hopefully we can democratize that. And that's, again, what a transparency will democratize this knowledge, it'll make it easier and frictionless for people to be able to come in. I tried to put out, I did like a podcast where I did like 22 things I think I learned just from doing research. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because I get so many DMs of people saying, what do I buy? What should I do? And the answer is you need to do the work yourself yeah. because, and, and it does require it. You know, you hit click and you didn't read a lot. That might not be the true rookie. That might be altered. And it, it's, yeah. it is a hundred percent a barrier. And we will, we will get there. I mean, think about stocks. You can go and you can do stock research, right? Is very, very easy these days, but it didn't always exist like that. If you think about in the seventies and eighties, right? You had to go and talk to companies, right? And even these days we find out that companies who are public companies, right? Are shells of companies and not real, right? And so, you know, unfortunately this will exist in every single marketplace, right? It, it exists in art, right? There's like documentaries about all these forgers, right? Um, totally. So we just need to work together to create the tools and transparency. And I do think we will get there faster because, you know, our generation is a lot more tech savvy. Um, but give it a couple of years and I think a lot of this will go away. So that part I'm really excited about. One of the more popular discussions that I, that I see a lot is pop versus, um, I guess, fame where it's, it's the pop reports of some of these newer cards are so high, yeah. but the demand for these guys is also so high that a Luca base card that's population report is 12,000 yeah. uh, is still selling and still going up at like, and they're selling like 30 a day on eBay. So the demand is still high. Yeah. How do you think this ends? How do you think that that cycle comes? Well, I, my opinion, I'm, I don't buy things that I don't know the supply of number one. Right. I just don't trust it. So I, I think the world. That's why you like serial code, serial numbers. Yeah, because I can track provenance. Right. And so it goes, you know, whether it's shoes or art, I always want something that's serial numbered. Right. Because I can prove that authenticity and the lineage of that. So I'm, I'm hoping that going forward, even if it has a high supply, that people will start serial numbering things. Right. 
Um, and you are right. It's a, you know, scarcity to all of these things are a function of supply and demand. I mean, Luca is so popular because it's an international brand. He's an international icon, yes. right? So while the supply is massive, the demand is massive, right? And so everything is obviously a function of supply and demand. Like some players, you know, are, I would say up there, but their demand isn't that high because maybe they're, you know, playing in a, in a different market. Um, and so I, I do actually a lot that you do. I've been trying to correlate, um, this one's an interesting one that you should look into. Look at their Instagram and Facebook or just social media followers, right? And the price point. And there's a lot of interesting correlations because the, the people who tend to have a, a big fan base tend to be more international. And those are the ones that generally have a higher demand for. And you'll see they also generally have a higher supply for too because you know Panini and them are smart, right? So they're, they can map that out beforehand. How many should I make of Zion? How many should I make of Luca, right? Um, and there's proxies for that. Oh, there's a reason I bought a Cristiano Ronaldo last week because yeah. I was like, talk about Instagram followers. I was like, I know Messi's great, but I was like, nobody's got more followers than Ronaldo. I think, yeah, I think we're going to start seeing the side effects, positive side effects of just the market. A lot of these other things. I mean, there is MMA cards, right? There is, um, oh, I don't have it. Pokemon is on fire. Pokemon. I mean, uh, what is the other one? Oh, uh, I'll go get it. There's this other one that someone on the team has been buying a lot of cards. Uh, man, I'm going to have to go get it. If I, I'll, I'll leave it right over there. I just don't want to leave the screen. Go get it. Go get it. Right, give me one second. This is. I'll use this time to say hi to everybody out there. And I hope you're enjoying this. You can go follow Lior on Instagram at gems underscore. Okay, here we go. These are things that I'm even getting into and I've never heard of them. Garbage pail kids. I have heard people talking about this. Garbage pale kids. These are so cool, right? It was apparently, uh, you know, the Cabbage Pad kids came out and they basically turned this into just really funny stuff. I mean, some of these and games- so you're, are... you're how old, 31? Yeah, that's a, that a good one. Okay, but like kids, like what era, who was watching that? Was that like people that are now in their 20s? I think it came out in 1985. There, there's a lot of people. There's people at the company that are younger than me who knew. I did not know what it was, but they introduced me and I thought yeah. it was really cool. Man. Um, let's, do you have, any, you have a few more cards out that you wanted to show off? Yeah, okay. So I'm, I'm a big fan of, hang on, I'll just show some cool cards. I'm a big fan of Kobe, obviously. So another, this is a black, I love, I got, I got into Prism pretty late, but I found this black Prism one of one. Um, I am a huge, I am obsessed with 2012 Prism. Yeah. I just, I love that it's the first year. I love that the pop reports are so low. Yeah. And I also think, I don't want to give away too much, but I think the rookies in that span too are like really phenomenal. Yeah. I love, again, I love set making and I'm, I'm a little obsessed with gold. So I have mm. this gold Kobe Bryant. I love the, awesome. the 2013, but I actually... And I think this is what, it, like, sometimes I get super obsessed. So I, I have three of them. <laughs> You're sick. But also, I love it. Um, so I, I, like, I like things like that. I mean. Do you still have a grail that you haven't gotten yet? Uh, yes. Do you I, not want to talk about it? Uh, man, I just, it'll upset me. I, I would love to get the PMG green. It, it just, you know, it's just. It's, it, it, it's, Matt Turner. I know you love cards and I know that you're one of the good guys, but Lior's one of the good guys too. And Lior's going to reach out to you because he needs the green. I, I know you got I, him. I already tried talking to Matt. He's never, he's never selling that. He has some other cards that like, you know, like I do a lot of credentials. So this one is 
This is a really cool card that I bought. Found it off a random forum. Really nice guy who sold it to me. There are nine of these, right? And I bought it raw and it graded a PSA 10 and it was from 2003. Man. And so like credentials is just one of these iconic 90s cards. This one is limited to 25, right? And so, so when you see all these young people and all they're doing is trading Zion Prism and Mosaics, and there's this whole world of 90s cards of inserts, and it's not just about one brand. What does that, what does that do to you to kind of see all the young kids focused on one subset of cards? Well, it makes sense to me because... You know, the NBA changed it so that one company has the exclusive right. So it's what they've grown up on, right? Uh, and I would say Prism, here's one insight that I wonder in 10 years, I think I'm going to be right on this, is that Prism, people who are collecting it now, imagine you're a kid, you're six or seven, you can only afford the base Prisms right now, right? Uh, in probably 25 years, when you start, you know, getting you know, into your mid thirties, you start getting some disposable income. What is the thing that you're going to want? You're going to want that exact prism card, but in a higher version, right? And that's when those golds are going to be popping up. That's why I buy a lot of tops Chrome right now, because that's what I wanted as a kid. And now I can actually afford right. them. And so I actually think the fact that prism has this mass production and has these different entry points, um, prism is going to be very big because it's just, it's generational, right? And you can have different things. So maybe early on, I have this, then I have the goals, and then one day you can get the black prism, right? And you can do it about the player that meant something to you, right? And so you always have a chase. Uh, last one, because I know you got to go soon. What did you learn from the sneaker experience that the card community can learn from to, to, to grow and also what to avoid? Um, I look at StockX and GOAT as kind of the leaders in all different assets. They've really built out really great authentication. They generally do a good job. Um, transparency on pricing, you know, it's very easy to know how much a sneaker is worth these days, right? Um, I know if I'm buying something, I can go on StockX or GOAT and I can figure out what the last one that sold one was and I trust it, right? It's not as easy to manipulate things uh, on those markets. So I'm trying to think of like the, the real learnings. I think having a platform that has all of them or having, every, be, having a certain level of maturity in all of those different aspects of the, I don't know, supply chain of, of, of these assets is really important. Like I think in cards, we just, one, we have all, a bunch of companies that exist, but there's just not a lot of trust. There's just low trust. When you ask everybody about every single aspect, there's just low trust. So I would say, yeah, I would leave with trust and transparency, right? Um, Oh, sorry. No, that's it. I would just lead with trust and transparency. Who are some of the really good guys and, and women or people that you do trust that are in the hobby that you think if, if you're getting into this, they're good follows or they're good people to look yeah. up to that you think are taking care? Um, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll use that as a way to signal. There's, we'll do a new bat signal if that is. I've been kind of letting people who have been involved in the company take pictures with the cart. And I would say that's kind of my signal. I trust them, right? I trust them. And I tell everybody like, any person that I hire, I always want them to be really kind, right? And just the best at what they do. And so anyone who you see involved in this is going to have, it's just going to be really kind people. They're really honest. They're transparent, right? And so maybe the bat signal is if you see someone holding a picture of the card, right? You know that they're very trustworthy. So um, I, would, I would love to, I mean, you know, the new company will have another way of doing that too. But that's my whole goal is I want people to easily know this person is trustworthy and transparent and is not out to get you right? Like, I'll tell you one thing that has been really disappointing through buying the LeBron 
because I get a lot of message of people and I'm just trying to buy, you know, a $20 card. And they're like, oh, you just bought the LeBron. So you should be, I should be charging you $2,000. And I'm like, it's, it's not about the money. It's, you know, what kind of experience are you giving me? Right? Like I, you know, like sometimes I send people cards because I just want them to enjoy it. And that's what we need to keep. Right. I did that uh, before I came on this trip to Atlanta. I put together a little care package for my agent's son and I didn't tell him I was doing it. I just sent him and he, and he sent me a picture of the kid on the floor holding a bunch of cards. And I threw like a LeBron in there too, because I was just like, let him feel that. Let him open up a package addressed to him and have cards everywhere. That's what you want to do. Yeah. The joy All I know is great. if you see me holding up a picture of the card, more importantly, that means I'm in Lior's trust tree. That's all I care about. Lior, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Any final message to LeBron? Uh, maybe hopefully he let's sees see, Let's see what you got, right? We're all curious. Show, show, show them off and tell us, tell us the story. If it's exquisite LeBron, put it on the ground. Lior, thank you very much. Again, check out its Instagram, gems underscore only eight. And we'll be waiting for the announcement. Soon come. Sounds good. See ya. Awesome. Thanks, man.